Few figures in modern American history have had as much an impact on the country as President Franklin D. Roosevelt. During his time as 32nd President of the United States, the country endured its worst ever economic crisis, and then it became involved in the most devastating war in human history. Roosevelt's leadership during this time is usually seen as a major factor in the United States getting through both the Great Depression and World War II. However, just weeks before his first inauguration, there was an attempt on his life, and if it had succeeded, he would have not had the chance to serve as president. Instead, he would have died in 1933 as president-elect Roosevelt, and the 20th century would have been a lot different. This is Foiled. Episode 1, The Near Death of the New Deal Franklin Delano Roosevelt was born on January 30, 1882, in Hyde Park, New York. His parents, James Roosevelt and Sarah Delano, were both from rich and powerful families that had been living in America since the 1600s. So FDR's childhood had all the things you'd probably expect growing up in a rich New York family in the late 19th century. There were summer homes, yachts, and trips to Europe, his father was pretty distant, while his mother was overbearing and overprotective of the boy. For that reason, Roosevelt was homeschooled by hired tutors until he was 14, when he was enrolled in Groton, a private boarding school in Massachusetts. After prep school, Roosevelt went to Harvard, where he did pretty well in classes and involved himself in a lot of extracurriculars. In 1902, while on a train to his home in Hyde Park, Franklin Roosevelt met Eleanor Roosevelt. Roosevelt was already her last name, as the two were actually fifth cousins once removed. They soon began a courtship, getting engaged in 1903, and married in 1905. Eleanor's uncle, then-president Theodore Roosevelt, gave her away at the wedding. This seems to have been a loving marriage at the start, but the strains of Franklin's rising political career, as well as his overbearing mother inserting herself into the marriage, took their toll on the couple. On top of that, beginning in 1914 and continuing on and off throughout his life, FDR carried on an affair with a woman named Lucy Mercer, who was Eleanor's secretary. Franklin and Eleanor had six children together, of whom five survived into adulthood. But the marriage was understandably distant most of the time after that first affair, with the Roosevelts becoming more of a political duo than a romantic one. Franklin Roosevelt's first big step into politics came in 1910, when he was elected to the New York State Senate on the Democratic ticket. The victory of Democrat Woodrow Wilson in the 1912 presidential election provided a way up the ladder for the young FDR, and he served as Assistant Secretary of the Navy during the Wilson administration. The timing of this appointment did Roosevelt's political career a pretty big favor, as the outbreak of World War I a couple of years later made the Navy pretty important. This career would be interrupted, though, and so would Roosevelt's life in general, in the summer of 1921, when he contracted polio. By August, he had completely lost the use of his legs, and would never walk unaided again. He did not retire from politics because of this, though, and he and his wife both continued to work in the political world. He would be elected governor of New York and take that office in 1929, just months before the stock market crashed and the Great Depression began. Largely in response to this crisis, FDR's governorship brought about a number of infrastructure and social projects in the state of New York, which he would one day implement nationwide. As the 1932 presidential election approached, Roosevelt was nominated to be the Democratic candidate. 
He broke the tradition of the time by showing up to the nomination, where he gave a speech in which he promised a new deal for the American people. His main opponent in the election was Republican and then-President Herbert Hoover, who was widely accused of not doing enough for the American people who suffered from the economic crash and subsequent widespread unemployment. In the election of 1932, FDR pretty seriously defeated Hoover. He won 42 states, while Hoover took only six. The Roosevelt had won the presidency, he came pretty close to being murdered before he could be sworn in. Giuseppe Zangara was born in the Calabria region of southern Italy in 1900. Not much is known definitively about his early life, but as a teenager he enlisted in the Italian army and fought against the Austrians during World War I. He emigrated to the United States in 1923 and eventually became an American citizen. He worked as a bricklayer in New Jersey, joined a union, and became a registered Republican. By all accounts, he seems to have been a hard-working, law-abiding citizen. However, like many veterans of World War I, Zangara came out of the conflict with a dislike for authority, especially political authority. This dislike turned into hatred, and he later claimed that before emigrating, he had unsuccessfully attempted to assassinate King Victor Emmanuel III of Italy. On top of this, Zangara suffered from serious chronic abdominal pain, which he said he'd had since he was about six years old when his father gave him the brunt of the work on the family farm. This likely did not help his issues with authority. His uncle came to the States with him, but the two don't seem to have had much interaction, and he doesn't seem to have had anyone else in his life at this point. His severe pain, which he believed came from having been put through hard manual labor since he was a child, combined with his hatred for authority, and ultimately consumed him. In 1932, Sangara went to Miami, Florida to spend the winter in a warmer climate, hoping that this would help with his pain. At some point while he was there, he caught word that President-elect Franklin D. Roosevelt would be passing through Miami, and Sangara decided that he would assassinate him. On the night of February 15, 1933, President-elect Franklin Roosevelt was passing through Miami, having just spent the previous few days on a fishing cruise. He was sitting in the back of an open car going through downtown Miami, and made a quick stop at Bayfront Park. Thousands of people came out to see the President-elect, and Roosevelt did not disappoint. One of the people in the crowd was Giuseppe Zangara. Two days before the President-elect was due to be in town, Zangara had gone to a pawn shop and bought a 32 caliber revolver for $8. However, he was 5'1", and so he could not easily see the president-elect in the crowd. He found a bench to stand on, and just as Roosevelt started to tell the people of Miami how much he loved their town, Zangara had found his mark. He had his revolver aimed at Roosevelt, and he was about to fire. The only person in the crowd who seems to have noticed was a woman named Lillian Cross. She was five foot four, and so she was standing on the same bench as Zangara, trying to catch a glimpse of Roosevelt. I'll quote Mrs. Cross on what happened next. She said that, quote, I glanced up at him and saw he had a pistol. He began shooting toward Mr. Roosevelt. I grabbed his arm and pushed it with all my strength into the air and called for help, end quote. It was further specified that she actually moved her handbag to her left arm so she'd be free to push him with her right hand. Despite Zangara's attempts to move his arm back down, he couldn't, and emptied the revolver into the crowd. Mrs. Cross held on to him long enough for him to be detained by local authorities. No source I've come across has said how close Zangara was to the president-elect, 
but considering that he was using a handgun and was still firing into the crowd with his arm pushed up, he had to have been pretty close. Five were injured, two were put in critical condition, but Roosevelt was not one of them. Visiting mayor of Chicago, Anton Cermak, however, was shot and seriously injured. Roosevelt's car took the mayor to the hospital, with the president-elect in the back seat with him holding him all the way. Zangara's trial began and ended within four days of the shooting. He freely admitted that he went with the intention of murdering Franklin Roosevelt. When interrogated, he said, quote, I just went there to kill the president. The capitalists kill my life. I suffer. Always I suffer. I make it 50-50. Someone else must suffer. End quote. When asked, do you think that Mr. Roosevelt is responsible for your suffering, he responded, yes, I think like that. Now this is a time in history when anarchist assassinations weren't all that uncommon. In fact, it was an anarchist that assassinated William McKinley in 1901 and made FDR's cousin, Theodore Roosevelt, President of the United States. While it doesn't seem Zangara had ties with any anarchist groups, his motives and language during the interrogation and trial definitely sound like the same kinds of things these other anarchist assassins said and believed. Zangara's mental state could definitely be called into question, and had been even back then. But despite his courtroom ramblings, the judge found him coherent enough to be considered sane. He pled guilty to the four counts of attempted murder he was charged with, and was given 20 years for each count. When he realized that this meant 80 years, Zangara said, quote, Oh judge, don't be stingy. Give me a hundred years, end quote. Giuseppe Zangara might have died in obscurity in prison sometime decades later, except that Chicago Mayor Anton Cermak died of his injuries on March 6, 1933. Zangara was almost immediately indicted for murder, which he also pled guilty to, and he was sentenced to death by electric chair. At this time, Florida law stated that a convicted murderer couldn't be jailed in the same cell as another convict but there was already another convicted murderer at the same jail Zangara was put in, and it was full. As a result, the jail had to expand the space for prisoners awaiting execution, and the term death row was used for the very first time. Giuseppe Zangara was executed on March 20, 1933, just over two weeks after Franklin Roosevelt was sworn in as President of the United States. When he was taken to the electric chair, he realized that his execution would not be filmed. In an outrage, he said, quote, No cameraman, no movie to take a picture of Zangara, all capitalists lousy bunch of crooks, end quote. His last words were, adios to the world, push the button. And then they did. Franklin D. Roosevelt was inaugurated as President of the United States on March 4, 1933. The address he gave at his inauguration may be the most famous in American history. It included this quote. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Roosevelt would be elected president three more times after this, something that had never been done before or since. FDR spent the early part of his presidency introducing the New Deal, a series of social programs introduced to pull the American people out of the Great Depression. Jobs were created under New Deal organizations, Social Security and minimum wage were introduced. He kept the United States out of World War II until December of 1941, when the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor was attacked by Japanese air forces. The United States entered the war on the side of the Allies and had Roosevelt as a leader through most of the war. 
He took part in several meetings with the other Allied leaders, who collectively began formulating a plan for a post-war world. Roosevelt would not live to see that world, though. On April 12, 1945, less than a month before the German surrender and four months before the Japanese surrender, Franklin Roosevelt was at his part-time home in Warm Springs, Georgia. He was having a portrait taken when he complained of a headache and then collapsed. He had a massive brain hemorrhage and died at the age of 63. His mistress, Lucy Mercer, was with him. Franklin D. Roosevelt is often ranked as one of the greatest presidents in American history. His administration has rightly been criticized in more recent years for its restriction of Jewish immigration to the United States leading up to and during the Holocaust, as well as for the incarceration and internment of Japanese Americans during the war. His leadership through this tumultuous moment in both American and world history is still widely regarded, though and it's impossible to say exactly what would have happened had he been assassinated in 1933. Of course, when a U.S. president dies in office, their vice president succeeds them, and so we do know at least who would have become president. When FDR did eventually die in office in 1945, it was Vice President Harry Truman who moved into the White House, but Truman was actually Roosevelt's third vice president. His first vice president, who he ran with in the 1932 election, was Texas Democrat John Nance Garner. Garner's nickname was Cactus Jack, because when Texas was picking out a state flower, he wanted the prickly pear cactus. They ended up going with the blue bonnet. More importantly though, Garner was not at all in favor of the New Deal policies his president implemented. Had Roosevelt died in 1933, these programs would not have happened, and there's no telling how the Democratic Party, or the United States, would have moved forward into the Great Depression. It's even more of a mystery what might have happened leading up to World War II, as it's not likely that Garner would have been elected more than twice, as Roosevelt had. Thankfully, we all have Mrs. Lillian Cross to thank for saving us from President Cactus Jack. While not often talked about, this attempt on the life of Franklin Roosevelt came very close to ending his presidency before it could ever begin, and it could have drastically changed the course of history had it succeeded. I'm going to try to have an episode out every week, but you can follow us on Instagram at foiledpodcast to stay posted. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more episodes of Foiled. <laughs>